0: We are in Luke 13 this morning. If you want to turn there, um, picking up from verse 18 to verse 30. But um, while you're turning there, I'm just going to speak to the context of where it is, uh, what Jesus is teaching into the backdrop, is that what's just happened is that Jesus has just healed a lady who has been doubled over for 18 years. She's been in bondage Jesus says he's loosed her from Satan's bond. She's been in an illness that has uh, has has folded her over. And Jesus has wonderfully and mercifully healed her, liberated her, brought salvation to her so that she can now be free from this bond of Satan. But Jesus is a naughty boy. He's naughty. He's done it on the wrong day. He's a very, very silly boy. And uh, the... The religious leader tells him so. You can't do that today. It's the Sabbath. And Jesus reprimands the the synagogue leader. In fact, it's an interesting use of phrase. It says the ruler of the synagogue. We know that the ruler is not this man, that God rules over his uh, kingdom. But Jesus speaks to him, and, and it says he puts him to shame, where the man realizes He says, you loose your oxen. You won't let me loose this woman? And it's into this context where Jesus says, I need to teach you about the kingdom. I need to help you to understand the kingdom is not your kingdom. It's the kingdom of God, and it is a particular type of kingdom. And so Jesus speaks into this confusion, this misunderstanding, and he teaches us the beauty of of the kingdom of God, what it's like, whose kingdom it is. And he comes out with some uh, really um, surprising metaphors for us, which we're going to look at today. So let's pick it up in verse 18, and we'll go from there. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves cast out and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we welcome you to speak to us by your word we thank you for your word we thank you for your spirit and we thank you that these things together bring us the truth which sets us free and i pray that you would set people free this morning i pray you'd help us to receive your word receive your love and change our lives lord i pray that there would be help for people this morning through your word in jesus name amen just where you are seated seated at home Uh, Why don't you just pray? God, speak to me this morning. Amen. So I wonder how you're doing. When's the last last time someone asked you that and it wasn't just a greeting? How are you doing? How are you holding up? It's been a tough year, hasn't it? It's, uh, It's not easy what we're going through. Maybe you're someone who doesn't really ask yourself that question. How am I doing? Or maybe you're someone who constantly asks yourself that question. It's like you've got your finger on your pulse all the time. How am I? It's been a tough year. Do you feel like you're building and that your life, your dreams, your ambitions are right on track? It's likely that many of you are thinking, oh yeah, dreams, I remember those. Ambitions, you know, it's like a joke now at the moment. Maybe your answer to how are you holding up is don't ask. No comment. I don't really want to think about it, to be honest. Perhaps you began 2020 thinking, it's going to be a great year. There were companies and churches and all sorts who had the, took the opportunity to use the phrase 2020 vision. I'm going to set out a great vision for 2020. You can look online and see some funny tweets of people saying, I've, I'm strangely ambitious about 2020. And good riddance to the 2010s. What a tough decade that was. Here comes 2020. Didn't quite work out the way they probably hoped it would, did it? I know some of have enjoyed aspects of the year. There's been more time perhaps with family. That's been wonderful. Maybe some space to think. Maybe to slow down a little bit. But we know it's been a tough year. And annus Horribilis, the Queen might say. Bless her, she's got her work She's got a, a, job, uh, a tough job next month, hasn't she, with her, with her speech. If you're a believer in Jesus, how have you been praying in this time? How do you pray in this time? Maybe you've stopped. Maybe you've thought, well, it seems like he's on holiday, so he's not available. Maybe your prayers have been angry. God, what are you doing? Where are you? Maybe you've just been praying, help, help. Ah! Well, I would say to you, well done for praying. Keep praying, keep going to him. Jesus said, all who are weak, weary, heavy laden, come, come to me. God is a father who says, come if you're tired, come if you're sad, come if you're angry, come if you're confused, come if you're happy and free, just come. I know as a father, I want my children to know, come, keep coming, come, whatever's going on, keep coming. It's really difficult to navigate life well in the best of times. And this year it feels like someone's put a blindfold on us and spun us around three times. If you're a Christian, it's tempting to start panicking or to shake your fist at God and tell him that he's failing, he doesn't know what he's doing, or even to take back control of areas that you had once entrusted to him. You clearly don't know what you're doing at the wheel, I'm taking it back in this area. It's been an interesting time and we can find ourselves looking around, seeing... How are others coping? What, is, what does he think? What, is she, what does she think? He looks happy. Maybe I'll ask him. She looks confident. Maybe she knows something. As we look in the passage today, we see something we see again and again and again in the Gospels. Jesus Christ is a man who has the weight of the world on his shoulders. He sees the true depravity around him, the, the hatred and the division the division the determination for people to claw back, take from God, not to trust each other, to deceive and lie and, and reject God. He has unsurpassable knowledge of the real depravity of the world, the divisive groups spouting their religious oppression with self-appointed authority. He lives in an oppressive Roman regime ruled by fear. He has weak people all around him clawing at him all the time and rejection from people who he was just trying to give his life to. And yet Jesus Christ stood firm. He stood secure, trusting the Father. This is who we see today in the passage. This is who we look to when we're thinking, where do I hope? Where do I look? Who knows what's going on? We look to the one who knows what's going on. The one who knows what the kingdom of God is like. When others think, what? No, you're supposed to follow this rule. You're supposed to do that. No, the kingdom of God is like this. We look to the one who says, follow me. So today as we look at the kingdom, as Jesus teaches, we, we want to start with, well, I want to start with whose kingdom. Because we could easily go on immediately to, what type of kingdom is this? Because he says the kingdom of God is, is like this but he says the kingdom of god is like this see jesus understood what he had come for jesus came to bring through a way to god's kingdom he wasn't so much interested in the ruler of the synagogue's kingdom the kingdom of the pharisees the kingdom of traditions a kingdom of you know a kingdom where someone could be scolded for bringing freedom and salvation in fact, his kingdom is a kingdom of freedom and salvation. kingdom of life, where people will be loosed from bondage, not placed under more of it. It's the kingdom of God. And in John 18, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not like any other kingdom. There are many kingdoms, massive powerful, impressive kingdoms throughout history. And there are also tiny personal kingdoms where we say, I'm on the throne and everything goes the way I want it to, or I, or I sulk, or I have some sort of, uh, of paddy about it. And yet Jesus said clearly, my kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. He came to, to bring about a new kingdom. The way we understand this, that, that we are part of another kingdom, it really will impact how we make our decisions, how we live our lives, the joy, the contentment, the peace, the faith, many other things, they, they're significantly, significantly shaped by whether we see our lives as our own kingdom that perhaps God can come into at times and have access to sometimes if it suits us, or whether we Understand that there's a creator who is king of heaven and earth who has invited you in to his kingdom. Jesus came to bring in the kingdom of God. That's where we start today. He came to bring the kingdom of God, not to say, What do you want? How can I serve you in in your kingdom? How how can I come under what you want? No, no, I'm bringing in a new kingdom. It's much greater than any other kingdom, it's unlike any other kingdom. But the sort of kingdom it is, is what really gives, gives us confidence that this is good news. So you could be saying, okay, he's bringing in his kingdom. I don't really want his kingdom. Well, now he goes on to describe this kingdom of God is like, and it is beautiful. It's beautiful, but it's baffling. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. I mean, if you were just going to roll out a new kingdom for world domination, I don't think you'd start there, would you? See, there's a mustard seed here, and then there's leaven, or yeast. And mustard seed is talking more about the external measure of the kingdom. It starts small, and it gets big in scope. It really spreads in size. And then we talk about the yeast in a moment, and that's more about the internal mode of the growth of the kingdom, how it grows. But but first of all, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It, it, Why mustard seed, Jesus? Why are you talking about this this grain that is less than two millimeters in diameter? It's not intimidating at all, is it? And there's something beautiful about that. The kingdom of God is not a sledgehammer. It's not intimidating. It's not to come and crush. Imagine choosing that as your analogy for a kingdom, for world domination. It's laughable. Surely the kingdom of God is like a battleship. Or well, the kingdom of God is like a mighty mountain. They lived in the context of, of one of the most powerful empires the world had ever known up until that point. If it was me, I would have said the kingdom of God's a hundred times better than the Roman Empire. No, mustard seed. Mustard seed is what he says. He can't compare it to another kingdom because it's not like any other kingdom. A mustard seed bush, it can grow easily to six meters tall and spread wide. And in Matthew, he makes the point of the same parable. He, it, it's included in another sentence there that it grows to be the largest plant in the garden. The kingdom of God, it has small beginnings, but it grows to be the largest plant in the garden. It seems small and insignificant, but it grows expansive in size and in impact. Birds come and nest nest in its its branches. It's not just a big thing to notice and look at. No, it, it has an impact on the garden around it. It brings home. It brings life. I mean, look at the evidence, shall we? Let's look at the evidence. When Jesus died, he was a homeless man, a homeless outlaw. You would expect that to be the end of this little flurry of followers, this ragtag bunch, fishermen, zealots, taxmen, they followed a homeless teacher whose message was come and die. <laughs> and yet his impact, unlike the greatest rulers of kingdoms throughout history, it was greater a 100 years after his death than during his life. It was greater still 500 years later. a 1,000 years later, it was the foundation for much of Europe. 2,000 years later, he has more followers in more places than ever. Regardless of what people think of Jesus, Jesus has been, given the, dom- has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for 2,000 years. Even where his name is not mentioned, his impact is immense. I mean, think about some of the impact in our culture or the culture, cultures throughout history. Children are thought of differently because of Jesus. In ancient times, children were not valued, and sometimes they were killed or left to die of exposure because of a deformation or because they were the unpreferred gender. This changed because a group of people who were followers of a man who said, let the little children come to me. Jesus never got married, but his treatment of women led to the formation of a community that was so caring to women that they would join in record numbers. Education, Jesus', Jesus teaching that we should love God with all our mind, it led people to such a reverence for learning that Christianity gave rise to libraries, schools, universities. Eventually, Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, Yale, and virtually the entire Western system of education would arise because of his followers. Politics and government. John Ortberg says in his fantastic book, Who Is This Man? He says this, he never held an office or led an army. He said that his kingdom was not from this world. He was on the wrong side of the law at the beginning of his life and at the end. And yet, the movement he started would eventually mean the end of emperor worship. It meant that that was cited in documents like the Magna Carta, the beginning of a tradition of common law and limited government. And it undermined the power of the state rather than reinforcing it as other religions in the empire had done. It's because of his movement that such language as we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights entered history. Jesus has changed politics. Christianity has changed government for the better. Hospitals and relief efforts of all kinds emerged from the Jesus movement. Empires had come that had marginalized and cast aside weak people, cast aside diseased people, malformed and enslaved people, had degraded them, casted them off. But Jesus taught, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And the idea emerged that suffering of every single type, of every single individual matters. And that those who can help should. Again, John Ortberg in his book says this, Humility, which was scorned in the ancient world, became enshrined in a cross. And was eventually championed as a virtue the kingdom of god's like a, a mustard seed that was planted in a garden and grew and it was the largest plant in the garden that even the birds who would reject the maker would come and sit in its branches when jesus first said about the mustard seed who would have thought that the jesus movement was going to take over the world It's the most ridiculous prophecy, especially given that he was soon to be executed as a criminal at the age of 33. If water into wine is a miracle, how much more is crucifixion into world domination? That's an undeniable miracle and we're living in it and we're perching in its branches. How has it come into our world today? How has it come into our lives? Well, I just Uh, i I love to read this comment from my friend Josie, who put this on our church Facebook page yesterday. And I'll have to try not to to blub, as I did when I read it earlier. Food shops, home-cooked meals, treats, anonymous gifts, saying from Hope Church family, texts, phone calls, most importantly, continued standing with me, not giving up. (laughs) Stop it, Tim. (laughs) Sending songs, talks, encouragement, Bible verses, and prayers. It's been an interesting year so far for all and during this time of illness for myself where it's so up and down and where I can't do or give as much as I hoped I've been and am so overwhelmed by the love, care and support. I'm so thankful for God's family. I'm so grateful to God for the times I'm having with him knowing him a smidgen more than before through the Bible, worship, prayer, online resources Relational mission, enough prayer resources, hope get-togethers, life groups, friendships, giving, serving, online resources. We are so rich in Christ. Thanks for being the New Testament church. It's such an honor to be part of it. She says, I love you and I'm now praying for you all. God bless through the highs, the lows and the mundane. May we all continue to know and glorify God that smidgen more. Isn't that wonderful? The, the kingdom of God's like a, a mustard seed. Two thousand years ago, planted, and today, we we sit in its branches and enjoy the benefits of it. And what does this mean for you? Perhaps you're sitting there thinking, "Yeah, but the thing is, what I have to bring is is quite pathetic. It's it's it's, it's insignificant. It's really small." Is it small like a mustard seed? See, it says in Zechariah, sorry, I need to get hold of myself for a second. Mm-hmm. It says in Zechariah 4.10, do not despise the day of small things. It's hard at the moment, isn't it, when you think we're doing a lot of hard work and, and we're not together, so you're not, you may not be hearing the well dones. Good work, good effort. Well, well done. Well done. <coughs> well done to all you dads. Excuse me. Well done to all you dads who are saying, come on, let's get church online. All you mums saying, come on, let's, let's do these crafts. Let's watch this together. Well done for those small decisions that no one knows about. Those small commitments that you're saying, No, this is my role as a child of God. I want to do this. Well done. That's the way of the kingdom. It's the way. It's supernatural, isn't it? I mean, you can't describe it any other way. You can't say that a homeless uh, criminal could die on a cross with a, a few dozen followers and then 2,000 years later could have two whatever it is billion followers across the world and have changed history it, it, it's no other explanation for it other than it is supernatural so do not despise the small things it's not God's kingdom if it's not supernatural nor it's not achievable through man-made efforts because it is a kingdom of salvation not a program or strategy that can renew man's heart, because there is no program or strategy that can change hearts and that can bring about salvation. This is a supernatural kingdom. Only the intervention of God can make it grow and can produce what it has come to do. Imagine the advert, come and die, come and be hated by people for my sake, come and lay down your desires and follow this crucified man. A stumbling block, foolishness to those who don't believe. No, a supernatural kingdom, the word of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. We're trying to grow the church here. We're trying to grow it in line with what God has called us to do. But we know God does the growing. We plant, we water, we pray, but we trust God with the growth. It's not a bad thing to have programs and to set things up. We want to strategize well, but we trust God with the growth. We trust his activity. We expect that growth will continue. Meanwhile, we see that the whole world is benefiting From the impact of this kingdom. And it is like leaven. It is like yeast. Once in it permeates. It has permeated the known world. And it has permeated the hearts of those who have touched the kingdom of God. We nest in its branches. But another thing about leaven. If you're a great British Bake Off fan. You'll know this. Is that it takes time. There's always a scene in Bake Off where you're watching someone just waiting because they've had to put their dough into the proving drawer, whatever that is, where you just got to let the yeast do its work. You've got to let it do its thing. You've got to let go. You've got to hand over control to the process of the leaven. You've got to hand over control, and and, and something has to happen that's outside of your control. I've done the bit I can do, and now I've got to leave it. And the kingdom of God is supernatural. We've got to leave it in God's hands. We've got to do what he's called us to do and then trust him. And that's what life is like for us. And that should free us from our anxieties to say, no, I've got to control this. I've got to, I, I, I can't just leave the dough and I've got to keep getting it out and checking on it. I've got to keep prodding it. it no, you'll ruin it. That's not what it's like. The kingdom of God is, is like yeast in the dough. It's supernatural it permeates, and if we say, but I want this to happen now, well, you're going to be frustrated because when it does, as it's doing its work, it takes time. I encourage you, if you're somebody who is anxious and worried about things, pray about them and then put them in the proving drawer. Leave, leave them with God. God, I trust you with this. I've prayed about it. I trust you with this. I've got to let you do your work. I've got to let the kingdom do its work. So finally, we look at entry to the kingdom because he goes on in the next passage that we looked at. Excuse me. He says this. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Now that phrase is significant. He was journeying towards Jerusalem. You could just think that's about geography. No, it's about his mission. It's about his journey. Jerusalem is where he's going to meet his death. So it's telling us it's reminding us at this point now Jesus went on through the ta- he's going on his journey, he knows where he's headed, he's headed towards the cross, and someone said to him, "Lord, will those who are saved be few It's an interesting question it's a great question it's a really you know intriguing question Will there be few what Tell me about the logistics of the kingdom Tell me about how how many will get in but Jesus wasn't really that focused. He wasn't really that bothered about answering that question. He wasn't focused on speculation about numbers and groups. Rather, he says straight back to him, strive, strive to enter through the narrow door. Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. See, Jesus wants to love the individual in front of him. Hey, let's not talk about numbers. Let's not talk about who might and who might not. How many? Jesus says, make every effort. In fact, the word that that word strive comes from is the word we get our word agonize from. Agonize over this. Don't just try and talk around the subject to me. Don't just think, oh, I've, I've, I think I've got the hang of the way the kingdom works. And, they'll, and then still stand at the outside the door. No, the door is narrow. Come through the door. To respond to the invitation through the narrow door is what he's looking for. It's not easy. It is narrow. But strive to understand my teaching. Agonize over it. Strive to, to, to take my invitation. Don't just think this is interesting. Don't just stand at a distance. Don't stand outside the door. There's a narrow door. And this is a, it's a sobering thing, he says, isn't it? And the door will be closed. And once the door's closed, it won't be opened again. You see, we've just heard about the kingdom being like yeast. It takes time, like, uh, like a mustard seed. It takes time. But Jesus is saying, I don't want you to think that that time means that there won't be a moment when it's too late. And as Tom said, whether you're, whether you're 8 or 80, you can thank God for his faithfulness. But, but whether you're 8 or 80, there will be a, God has been gracious up until that point, but there will be a time. When that door closes, you may have been given 80 years of thinking about this and looking at it, and there will be a moment, and Jesus is saying, I want you to know that standing outside the door and talking about logistics and talking about speculation, I just don't care about that. You need to strive to get in. Be aware the door will close. Being in the context of Jesus. Perhaps you're at home and you're somebody who's been looking in on Christianity. You've been maybe at Hope Church for years. Maybe months. Maybe weeks. And you're looking in on it. But you you haven't fallen on your knees. You haven't entered the door. I, when I was preparing this, I, I kind of had the... I don't know if it's a prophetic thing, but there may be someone watching who... You know that thing where you think you love your friend's children because they're your friend's children. But then as they grow, you grow to love them because you know them. And there may be people you think, I love the church because of the people. But as you've been around church long enough, you start to realize it's him. It's him. It's him who's lovely. I love him. And if that's you today, then strive to say, I need to know him. I need to meet with him. Enough of knowing him by proxy. Enough of knowing about him through his friends. I want to know and love him. Jesus' kingdom is unlike any other. If you're finding things difficult lately, it may be that you've become much too much at home in the wrong kingdom. Jesus' kingdom goes against the grain. And if you're not submitting to him, sometimes you'll feel the splinters of going against the grain. Because he goes against the grain. Kingdoms have come and gone. Some hugely impressive, like a firework that lights up the night sky. And you think, oh wow, in history the empires come, empires go. And they bring oohs and ahs and oh my goodness, look at the size, look at the scope, look at the color. But a firework bangs and it's gone. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that grows and grows and grows and goes on. It won't fade away. It says this in Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called mighty, sorry, shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, our hope is not in the kingdoms of this world. It's not in the kingdoms of self. It's in his ever increasing kingdom, the love of God kingdom of the love of God, which welcomes anyone in and benefits even those who reject it. Our hope is in the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Let's just thank him, shall we? Father, we thank you that your kingdom is not like the kingdom of this, of this world that trample people underfoot, that reject people, that neglect people. Your kingdom is a kingdom of saving and rescuing people. Your kingdom is a kingdom that will benefit even those who reject you. Your kingdom is a kingdom that will be an everlasting kingdom. We thank you that you're a God who doesn't despise the small things and that we can be those who and trust you with the small things like the, the, the fish and the loaves that were multiplied to feed thousands. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep putting our trust in the right God of the right kingdom, not asking you to come into our kingdom but, but, but being committed to your kingdom and to not despising what we bring to it but trusting you that you can multiply. You are a supernatural God. You're about a good thing with us. I pray, bless us today. Let this be, there be things in this message today that many people will be able to bring to mind. And Lord, I pray for those who are saying, I've been looking through the door from the outside for long enough. I need to walk through the door. I need to not just reluctantly tip my toes through the door, but I need to strive. I need to fight. I need to run through that door to find salvation in Jesus. Lord, would you let people find their salvation in you and know the wonder of what it is to be a subject in your wonderful kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.